Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, eating on the go, reading for success, freezer tips, and hangover cures. Hi, Joshna. How are you doing? Uh, you know what? It's not a great one. This is this has been a really, really difficult week in the world. It's not even just here in Toronto or the country. Uh, but with racial tensions spilling over as intensely as they have been uh, with our friends in the U.S., um, we're all feeling it. And it is heavy, man. It is heavy. Yeah, these are really difficult times. Um, I mean, I'm I'm grateful that this is being spoken about and that... Right through all of because we're still all in isolation we're still all dealing you know most of us with some very uh heavy stuff already and the fact that everyone in the middle of this pandemic has taken the time to really acknowledge and uh start discussing this issue is Mm -hmm. uh is a good thing but i yeah i agree with you just it definitely needs to happen this is a long overdue conversation for us but holy smokes, what a pylon of things, right? A pylon meaning pile of things all together, right? On top of all of it. It's really mega. And I'm, I'm finding myself just uh, having to take lots of deep breaths and force myself to slow down and just chill out a bit, right? It's yeah. Yeah. And, and you're not alone. Um, but yeah, I'm, gl- I'm also glad I have to say that these issues in the U.S., these I think issues is a it seems like a trite term. Accusing, a curious euphemism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe these g- g- murders um, yeah. would be Crises, more appropriate. Yeah. Uh, have also highlighted the very real issues that are happening here in Canada. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that, yeah. that conversation continues. But yeah, shout we'll out to see, yeah. Black Lives Matter and the great work that they're doing during this yeah. time. And never been more important, I think, right? Yeah. The, and to have them as that strong voice is super important. Yeah. All right. Um, so I fan, I've been thinking about, uh, I, I have actually been thinking about drive through restaurants. Uh, I'm a child of the suburbs. Right. I grew up born in the suburbs um, and the drive through was a very regular part of my life for many years. Um and then I've noticed that now that we are living uh, our pandemic lives, the the drive through is really proving to be a very safe way for people to get their hands on some food. Right. That seems to be working pretty well. Um, but what I like, I have to confess, I did not think deeper into the role that the drive through plays in our culture uh, other than just that it's convenient. Right. I didn't think at all about that. Uh, And then I read uh, I did a bit of research and reading and I found this whole story uh, that suggests that the drive through is, in fact, a symbol of American life. Right. And that and the words they used, I loved. uh, They described the attitude that created the drive through as innovation, obsessed, hyper efficient, stressed and eternally pressed for time. Uh, and I, I had never stopped to consider that. I, I believe it's entirely true. I think it makes a lot of sense. And we get, we really roll our eyes when we see a long snake of cars and we have to wait a long time in a drive through. Um, but I, uh, I mean, I knew that there was a connection to car culture, obviously, but I had not considered the drive through as a symbol 
of of uh, busy individualism, right? That I think is really fascinating. Um, and so I have. Yeah, a, tell me, tell me what you think. I have a bit of a confession yeah. to make, and. I didn't realize that it was this was weird, but it has been pointed out to me that this is really weird. I have never purchased food at a drive-through window. You've managed to avoid it, even on like a, a, a highway car trip. On a car trip, I always get out so I can stretch right. my legs. I don't. It's just right. I mean, unlike you, I didn't grow up in the right. suburbs, so there aren't that many drive-through opportunities around where I live, but. I don't know. It's just not on my yeah. radar. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mentioned it to a few people while prepping for this mm-hmm. article and they're all looking le- at me like I'm an alien. I didn't yeah, that's realize. Amazing. It's pretty amazing actually that you've never been through a drive. Unusual it is. Cause I do, I do own a car. I've had right. a car for years, so it's not the car that's the issue. But even if I think back to being in the car with my parents, I don't remember them ever taking us mm. through. I, so I just wanted to start here. What's up with yeah. drive through Like, what, what would, when do people use drive throughs and why? Well, okay. So to this point, I, I love this because uh, the reality is in the U.S. right now, I'm not sure what the Canadian number is, but one in three meals in the U.S. is eaten in a car. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And our numbers are not far away from that, right? The drive through is a very common place. We uh, and you can get any anything to eat, right? Uh, the the Starbucks yeah. drive-through. Uh, I've seen their pharmacy drive-throughs. Like you know, what I mean, that has really rolled beyond the food world. Um, yes. And for the record, I have I have eaten in a car right. that, that I have done, right. but it's either been like a packed yep. something, or you know, if I pop in on a road trip, for example, for. A- a coffee and yes. a snack and there's some coffee left over. I'll bring that in the car with me sometimes. But uh, uh, and the drive throughs quick moves, oh, lots of on that the way is a to scary work. statistic. Yeah. It's really, really right. something. Uh and then okay. But I th- I feel like that speaks to the place that food t- is taking in our lives. Like I would not ever leave the house without having had food. Yes. So um, but I realize, again, that's probably an anomaly. Uh, I think you're right. It's interesting to me that someone would be so rushed to, I guess the idea is you're so rushed to get out that you don't have time to prepare food and then you get hungry on the mm-hmm. way and you drive yep. through. And I think I think it's just the sheer hours we're clocking inside of our cars. Right? People yes. who are who are who have set to a, at least a couple of hours a day in a commute, uh, the stop through the drive through is just is just stage A on the journey. Right. That's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. And they know. And the, and the, I've seen it. Right. The 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 people behind the drive through, they recognize they know that you're the the double double with the everything bagel toasted with <laughs> cream cheese. They know. Right. Because every morning it's the same thing that's happening. Uh, drive through culture uh, is really, really strong, particularly in the suburbs, because I think that there's a space issue. Uh, right. Yeah. Obviously, drive throughs take space uh, and in cities it becomes much more expensive. Uh, but what I thought was fascinating is I read, uh, I shared a piece with a Canadian perspective on drive throughs and it had never mm-hmm. occurred to me that city planners would avoid drive throughs because they're not neighborly. 
right? And it it makes right. perfect sense when you consider Which they are the people in a yeah. car on the way out, right? Of <laughs> leaving the scenario, nobody is staying and being invested. Uh, but I had never yeah, thought. Yeah, it's not something I associate with a neighborhood or a community. Exactly, certainly something I associate with being sort of in the middle of nowhere. That's it. Uh, there are a few drive-throughs in the city, though. I've, I've yeah, I've there seen are. Them there around. are a few. Um, the other thing that I found interesting in that piece, because you shared it with me, is the fact that they say that the focus of these restaurants, I guess, seventy percent of their service is the actual drive-through yes. window as opposed to walk-ins. And so they've become super efficient with it. And the speed of the service at a drive-through is part of what persuades consumers to stay in the car yes. rather than come yes. in. And I was thinking about that and I was wondering, I don't know, maybe you might have some insights for me. What is the what is the incentive for the restaurant? Like why is the restaurant trying to keep people in their cars and out of the restaurant? Because that's what they're uh, saying by turnover. being faster with the drive-through. Yeah. Totally. Um, I guess um, it's, it's just a quicker. It's a, that's true. Because if people aren't more, sitting and more, chatting, more, more sales per moment, right? Nobody has to stop and sit down and eat. All you have to do is get the thing and put it in somebody's hands. They're they're technically already sitting. So somewhere, hospitality, right, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's entire. <laughs> That is entirely the truth. It feels like it's a bit of a grim. It is right. It is. It's a bit of a grim story. Yet, uh, I have also had an experience through a drive-through. I remember there's a burger joint on the way up to to mm-hmm. Creemore, right? And there's a burger joint on a corner. Two competing burger joints. One of them has a drive-through. Uh, I drove through, and it was staffed exclusively by a very competent troop of teenagers. Uh, who yeah. managed it all beautifully and they made and it was like it's a family business so it's not a sort of big chain of anything and so patiently with the what all the things I want on my burger and you know and they mm-hmm. really walked me and I was like this was a delightful drive through like you they were they were competent on it things moved quickly um, and the food was delivered really nicely. So then in those cases, are you generally eating in the car or will it sometimes be that you're grabbing it and you're going to bring it home? Oh, no. At that point, I'm eating in the car. I'm eating in the car for sure. You're eating while it's still warm. Yes. Wow. Right. Yeah, it was fascinating. Did you know that In-N-Out Burger is a popular American burger chain? One of the first they Mm -hmm. they had they were the one of the first to have a drive through or drive up as it was, uh, you know, at that time. But these days, you can tell them if you are planning to eat in the car, they will unwrap your burger and have the bottom still with the wrapper so that you can just grab the thing and and take a bite. Right. You can ask for nice. it like for the road or Save whatever on packaging. It is, right. So that you you don't have to do any unwrapping. You just grab it and eat. Come on. Americans are known for one thing. It's making things convenient. <laughs> Yeah, they, certainly reading these articles and, you know, how it's all about efficiency and all that has has made me very confused about why I haven't done it because <laughs> I'm all about efficiency. That's amazing. And I think it's just literally not on my radar. Joshna, I came across this article that I found fascinating. Yeah. And I, I wanted to talk with you about it. it. The article is called Why a Variety's Taste Matters, Looking Beyond Just Yield and Stress Tolerance. Right. And this article was a very 
Ernest article, Mm -hmm. arguing that giving consumers what they like is an an, an essential step in enhancing a variety's commercial success. (laughs) And that this article recommended that people who are breeding crops go back to the farmers as an essential... Sorry, I'm just laughing because it's just so unbelievable that the breeders go back to the farmer as an essential part of incorporating end user feedback in a variety's breeding process. So it was just the whole thing was just an example of how tone deaf some organizations can be in their approach to food. So long story short, there's this, uh, organization called the international maize and wheat Uh, improvement center based in Mexico. And for more than five years now, they've been breeding different corn varieties in parts of Africa Mm -hmm. And it's great. I mean, they're focusing on tolerance and increased yield, and their goal is to improve food security. Mm -hmm. So all that is fantastic. What is really weird to me is is that it isn't until last fall that it occurred to them to start thinking about, well, what does this corn taste like? And is it pleasant to eat? And what is the texture like? That did not even, wasn't on their radar and so this article was arguing that, you know, you should take the taste of the food into account when you're breeding it. Isn't it nuts? Right? The whole story. I, I am familiar with this phenomenon. Uh, I've seen it before. This is, in fact, a real you thing. Are. Definitely. Uh, definitely. It has happened a lot. Uh, I've had a couple of contexts. One is I've just chatted with farmers. And I ask about flavor from different versions or varieties or, you know, how they've understood it. And nobody ever has anything to tell me. No one is ever like, oh, I've never even tasted it. I've never even, right? And then uh, there is uh, an American chef. He's based in New York named Dan Barber, who I'm a major fan of. He is, I run Mm -hmm. to keep up with Dan Barber. Um, and he really wanted to breed. He was squash is what he was focusing on. And he has a farmer who works with him mm-hmm. and his beautiful sort of agricultural center that he has. And he was talking to this farmer about the things that they could do to maximize the flavor in this squash. Right. And one of the things was growing smaller. Yeah. So flavors are concentrated, that sort of thing. And the report mm-hmm. that he heard from this farmer was that he had never before been asked to breed for flavor. Right. So and Dan, weird. Yeah, sh- now yeah. that you mention it, I've been doing work with hop farmers here who for the first, I mean, they've had hop fields for a long time. And for the first time ever last year, they started thinking, boy, we should understand how these hops come through <laughs> in the finished, in the beer. It's amazing. So weird. It's so weird. And the thing that really screamed out to me when, when I read this and thought about this is that it's yet another piece of evidence of the like the imposition of business structure onto the food system, right? There was so much thought paid to what we what it would take to get that crop most densely and efficiently farmed and ready for market, right? That's what we thought about. But there was no thought uh-huh. about what what happens like when you <laughs> would will the market want this? When you actually get there, is this in fact what the market wants? Like it's just extraordinary to be like, yeah. this is how to grow this thing, this is how to harvest this thing, these are the chemicals that we're gonna add. And no one has thought about how does this stuff taste? Uh which to be honest, yeah. 
there, there's something there's something um, relieving and encouraging about that, about the fact that nobody has ever thought about it, as opposed to they have thought about it and they were cool with these horribly empty, awful oh, yeah. flavors, right? Because a lot of this I, food, I don't know which is worse. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know, know which is worse. It's a worse. good question. Uh, but I was like, but it was you interesting. Didn't even think about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, reading between the yeah, I don't think they did think about it because so. reading between the lines in the piece, they didn't explicitly state it. But what seemed to be happening is they were breeding these these new varieties of yep. corn and putting them out on the market, and f- farmers were gravitating towards old seeds that they right. that they had been using before, right. and it it seemed to be mostly due to the flavor. Because the thing is, on these farms, they use a lot of corn, and they do use some of it for cattle feed and that sort yes. of thing but then they're also eating it they're having it for breakfast they're you know it's a they're staple in the diet integrating it sure. into their diet and then and then they're selling that at the market so of, of course if they're selling it to people as food those people are going to buy the ones that taste best to them right with the best texture yeah. and aroma so i mean i guess better late than never it's great that they made this discovery last year <laughs> And that they have started doing quite a bit of sensory testing, asking farmers yep. and consumers to rate the flavor and the texture of these corns that they're breeding and that they're taking it into consideration. And, you know, good to whoever wrote this article for putting it out there it's, it's, as, and as building a, a case. Hilarious, revolutionary idea, right? Uh, there was another little piece in there in that in that article that I thought was fascinating. There was a quiet suggestion that even gender might have something to do with with di- with understanding desirability of a crop, right? They made some quiet reference to yes. the fact that for the first time they asked women for their opinion. <laughs> women who do the lion's share of the world's agriculture and cooking, right? If in the big picture across uh-huh. the whole planet, yep. women are sowing, uh, you know, are working the land and they're cooking all the food in the kitchen. So like, oh, what if we ask the women what they think tastes good? Fantastic, right? You know, Humanity is a hilarious. revolutionary article all around. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. So, on a practical note, yes, Joshna, I came across this article on freezing food. Yeah, and I thought, oh, this is this is useful information. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, the first thing that I wanted to ask you is, is is freezing food part of chef training? Do they cover that in chef school? Yes, definitely. What to freeze, definitely. what not to freeze, how the to freeze it. The use of the freezer, uh, particularly because in most contexts we have a walk-in freezer, right? And so managing mm. the inventory, it's very easy for things to get lost. But from a restaurant perspective, there's piles of money sitting in that inventory, right? Uh, so managing things that are frozen uh, and and freezing things properly so that they will last uh for the length that you're hoping are really important things that we learn like we are definitely consciously taught how to freeze properly and to manage temperature shifts you know for safe handling and all of that um and so i love this so unlike the rest of us you're not one of those people who sits there in front of the freezer thinking can I put this in is it yeah no it's gonna I taste good on I the other end no you don't. don't have that moment I don't. and generally speaking <laughs> uh, anything can be frozen right generally speaking there's very few things that don't like raw potatoes dairy sometimes doesn't always 
you know, come through. But uh, you can you can freeze. Why would someone freeze? So the article did mention not to freeze potatoes, and that was baffling to me because don't potatoes keep forever? Not once the not once keep them in a dark spot. Yeah, exactly. Not once the skins have been cracked open and they, you know what I mean, and all because if if you because it's like a, a sliced potato or a diced raw potato then all the the areas have been exposed and then they get all oh i see you can keep that potato in a dry cold root cellar somewhere no problem but once you cut it up and wrap it in plastic or whatever it is and then put it in a freezer it's not a not a nice at all so long story short if you want to like pre-prepare fries you have to blanch them or fry them yeah yeah yeah, them in the freezer. yeah just don't even think okay i got that. it uh, and also I that waterlogged potato in the hot fry oil is nothing you want to have to deal with yeah yeah no uh i uh, will I say i also found the talk of eggs yeah oh really off-putting oh. i don't know who would if they said don't freeze a boiled egg mm. or an egg yolk and uh, i i was trying to think of a circumstance where i might want to do to that freeze an egg yeah i can't even and think about it a boiled egg yeah, yeah. listen even our friends at McDonald's are cracking fresh eggs into those egg McMuffins every morning, right? Even they yeah. are doing it. So uh, it's a, re- it's a, yeah, don't even worry about freezing eggs. I will tell you that I think one of the best nuggets of wisdom in this whole piece is the, is the tip about laying things flat to freeze and then packing them up. That is a key mm-hmm. piece, particularly if you want to freeze things like berries or chopped fruits and vegetables or things like that, people's instinct will be to do the chopping or wash the berries and then just throw it in a Ziploc bag and shove it in the freezer. And all that's going to get you is one big ice block of whatever it is that you've put in there. But if you For sure. lay the berries out or lay the bits of broccoli on a sheet pan and put that in the freezer first, let them get frozen and then collect them all up and put them in a Ziploc bag or a container and then freeze them, they will serve you very, very well. Everybody listening, that is the way to freeze your food for sure. For sure. Yeah, I like the idea of thinking about how you're going to use it on the other end and putting it, pre- put it making sure it's frozen into the portions that you're going to need. Yes, that's the other thing. Whether that be individual berries or totally. you know, smaller containers, larger containers. Uh, the other thing I thought was really helpful just as a tip was to think about it as freezing things that you're going to want for flavor and not for texture. Yes. Yes. Very smart. Cause we have, we have ginger. Our ginger is in the freezer yep. and for most of the applications that we use ginger for, that's fine. And it's actually a lot easier to grate. Ginger Cause it submits it's a bit more so once so it's forth. a bit wet. Yes. But yeah, I learned the hard way, you know, in an instance where I needed an actual piece of ginger in a recipe Ooh. that if you slice off a piece of that frozen ginger and then it melts and it's just this glob. Yeah, it's not. It's not you know, there's nothing. The texture is completely lost. So I, I, I liked that tidbit as well. I thought it was very useful to think about. It it was very useful. Uh, the thing that, and, and along the same lines as the ginger, I, I remembered my own mom and my aunties doing this thing because Indian food, the basis of Indian food is pastes of garlic and ginger and chilies and right. Mm -hmm. And all of the things generally speaking that we'd have at the time when I was, at least when I was a kid, um, we'd have to go to a special store to find them all. Right. It was this big effort, but, but they, they, Mm -hmm. they, they they bruise, you know what I mean? And so to use them up and to maximize the use of them, 
they, my mom and my aunties would have this like every month, every two months or something. They would do a big grind up of garlic and ginger and green chilies um, and then fill that into ice cube trays. Right. And so they and then they would pop them all out and put those ice, those ice cubes into a Ziploc bag. And one would come out to go into a pan with the onions. Uh, right. Because it, everything just needed to be pureed and mixed into the base of the dish. Anyway, we didn't need to see any texture nice. or anything. Yeah. It's right? just flavor. Yeah. Uh, and that was a very tidy, easy way because freezing does do a really good job of maintaining the integrity of the flavor. Like you really can unlock the freshness of something once you thaw it out at, at least this way uh and that was a super super helpful tip i think i've i've been honestly just rediscovering my freezer okay. my freezer was like a forgotten land right. before this time of isolation and now that i'm doing my groceries every two weeks a lot lives in the freezer yes, of course. and i had to develop a new relationship with it so now i want to take it to the next level i love that and use it for my cooking. Okay. What can I do? So, what are some uh, hacks? Dare I say? Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, definitely in the pastry kitchen. Anytime pastry is being made, the freezer is your friend. Uh, and so, when I make things like scones or pie crust, anything that needs flakiness, uh, you, mm -hmm. I always like to. After I finished sort of assembling the thing, and my hot hands have gotten involved and perhaps warmed the butter up, right? I will have everything formed, yeah. brush the egg wash on the top, whatever has to be done. And then that tray will go into the freezer for about 20 minutes, just so the butter firms up again, because that will give me maximum flakiness. And on my scones, it will give me the vertical that I'm looking for. I want those scones to grow up and, and baking from frozen really maximizes the potential of that happening. So, uh, any in the pastry kitchen, the freezer is your best friend. It really helps. Uh, other things I like to do is that is that uh, whenever you're working with chocolate, if I'm just dipping fruit in chocolate, you know, simple things. Mm -hmm. I prefer yeah. to flash it quickly in the freezer than to let it spend half an hour in the fridge, because I find that the fridge okay. it can start getting a bit sweaty, the condensation, and you know what I mean, and the it doesn't quite work. Whereas when you do that, just like ten minutes in the freezer, boom. Uh, instant frozen and you get the nice crunch on the outside of a strawberry without the strawberry having to thaw and get soggy. You know what I mean? It's just one yeah. quick hit. It works really just long enough, just long enough. Sometimes you need the quickness of the instant, the instantaneousness of the freezing. Um, and yeah, it helps a ton. Freezers, freezers really works. Thanks for that. Well, you know, I have taken up baking, so Ooh. Um, I can't wait. Looking forward to trying some of these uh, some of these techniques. I learned a new word this week, Joshna. Tell me. Visalgia. Ooh. What is it? it what means does it mean? Hangover. Oh. I and am that was a new embarrassed. One for you. Come yeah, on. I'm embarrassed I that, that I didn't know it. <laughs> visalgia, visalgia, visalgia. Uh, I don't think it's a word I'm going to be using, but it's good to yeah. know. Good to know. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's talk about hangovers. Yeah. Do you have a hangover cure or preventative regime that you do? When I did much more drinking than I do now, which was when I was mm -hmm. in university. I did a solid amount of drinking. And the one thing that worked was advice from my pharmacist mother, 
who uh, gave us effervescent vitamin C tablets. Right. right? And so the redoxa, the, the, and they're the, like in this funny little tube. And we would put two of these little like Alka-Seltzer kind of things in as much liquid, like as big a glass of water as we could take down. And before we went out drinking, we would chug one of those and it, you would wake up like fresh and happy to greet the day the next day. Oh, nice. Uh, that, that was reliable. It was quite reliable. Uh, I remember that from my mega drinking days. Um, I think, but uh, this is, yeah. Back in, back in my university days, I was all about the huge greasy breakfast in the morning. The gr- that yes. Was, uh, yeah. I, I, I breakfast in a Gatorade did it. And the prevention. That. Yeah. <laughs> Big greasy breakfast. Um, but now, well, you know, I drinking is part of my job and, uh, you know, yes. normally I'm just sampling, but at events and stuff, uh, it can get interesting. So yeah, for me, I just make sure that I've eaten well, that I'm hydrated and yep. then, um, just don't, don't drink too much. <laughs> is at the end of the day what i have learned is the only true in my mind hangover cure just don't drink too much yeah, it's the truth because the older you get the more painful the hangovers are becoming i'm learning that for sure uh yeah i've yeah, had hangovers from just okay. one drink it is yeah. not no it's not acceptable and the, the elasticity um, that once was is gone yes so people are obviously on a constant search for hangover cures I think right. we don't still don't exactly know what causes hangovers, which is why the cure is so elusive. But there's a new study, and uh, can you guess which country? <laughs> I'm going to guess the, the, a, the this is the Brits, right? Uh, is it, close, is it the Brits Germany or the Americans? The yeah, Germans, Germany, okay. Yes, okay. An, another fair. beer drinking nation, right? The yep, University fair. of Maine. No, most of them are in England, but uh, Germany is also doing its fair share of alcohol-related studies. Um, and what's really interesting about this study is it, it goes against the conventional wisdom. I think most people these days, and certainly from what you were describing, that your mom was prescribing, link hangovers to dehydration mm-hmm. due to the fact that we have to visit the bathroom often um and then an associated loss of vitamins and electrolytes and that sort of thing and that you know the you also mentioned gatorade earlier so this article this study rather what they did is they refocused their attention on uh, plant extracts so they used something called barbados cherry which i'm not familiar with are you no me neither no uh, prickly pear, Ooh. yum yum. Yep. Uh, ginkgo biloba, willow, and ginger root. And so they took a large group of people, over 200 people, and um, they had them drink for four hours <laughs> um, and then had them come in 12 hours later to report on their hangovers. And they split this group into three. One group was given uh, vitamins and minerals. So this would be the group that's testing the theory that we were just discussing. Mm-hmm. Another group was given vit- vitamin, minerals, and plants. So these prickly pear, ginkgo biloba, Barbados, right. cherry, willow, and ginger root. And then a third group was just given a placebo. Okay. And interestingly, they found that the group that had the plant extracts had fewer hangover symptoms. Nice. Then both the placebo and the ones that were taking vitamins and minerals. So the ones who were, you know, technically replenishing 
their electrolytes and so on. Oh, right, right. Um, so there was more, right? That's interesting, huh? It is. And he, this is what I found really fun in the piece. Did you get to the part with the different symptoms? Yes, yes. I have a note. That was one of my favorite bits. Totally. <laughs> I loved that general indifference was listed as a right. <laughs> it made me laugh. I was wondering loud. if you'd catch that. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was so funny, and I was like, "Yeah, I get that. Sure." Twenty-seven percent less feeling of indifference. <laughs> I, I, I guess I never so really great. associated that with a hangover, but me I, neither. Not at all. It makes <laughs> sense when you think about it, but I had never put that together. I thought that was super great. And so they also reported 34% less headache, which, you know, we all associate headaches with hangovers, yes. 42% less nausea, and then 41% less restlessness, which I also Yeah, the restlessness was a was curious one, too, because I actually find that moving is tricky. Right. When I am hungover, right? When I am hungover, having the will to sit up and take the Advil, I have to yeah. really, like, have a strong conversation with myself in my own head to lift my head up and do that, right? So the... The restlessness also, didn't seem to quite fit. Yeah, feeling restless and indifferent at the same time, it just feels like a, not a really place. bad combination. <laughs> it's a horrible place. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hotplatepod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.